to episode 147 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today is Will Slayer of Exploding Helicopter. Welcome back to the show, Will. Hello, and uh, yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me back for uh, for another day of uh, the Great Escape. Well, you're you're standing next to the propeller, so we'll, <laughs> you're worried about my safety. We'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah, just just. Just be I'll, careful. I'll, I'll, I'll try. Uh, oh yeah, what's that? What's that draft I can feel in my cheek? Uh, just uh, you know, grab it a little <laughs> bit. You know, just <laughs> just uh, gently. Move your move your hand to the right. <laughs> check it. Check check out what's there. <laughs> Minute one forty seven begins with Penley securing the prop crank. Prop crank goes until the plane takes flight. One of the things that uh, I forgot to mention yesterday was in the original script they actually have. The two characters in mechanic overalls, meaning they 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 reach the hangar and somehow get into mechanics overalls. Mm. So it's a bit more of a sort of stealth mission where they have to infiltrate the air, air, air this this airbase rather than just sort of wander onto it as uh, as we see here. Yeah, and there are no guards that they have to try to get rid of or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just uh, it's always interesting to look at the way that the that the original script, you know, how it eventually was shot because it was com- shot completely different, yeah. differently here. I know that seems like a sensible change to me to, uh, to sort of scrap that. Yeah, it, it was more fun to to get the uh, Garner Fu as you you mentioned you called the answer, <laughs> or do you call it Henley uh, Fu? I called I it Garner Fu, but. Oh, okay. uh, there you go. You know, I, I don't know if we've seen James Garner do martial arts in in other films or, or TV. I don't. Uh, we don't need to. We've so seen he, him do it here. We've seen him do it. Yeah, he's like ticked off his bucket list and he's done. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, you know why repeat yourself? Exactly. So we we, we continue from the uh, exact point where we left off yesterday, where Henley helps Blythe put prop crank into the to the slot, the hole. Basically, the minute ended at that point, and, and now we see that Blythe moves his hands a little bit, and then Henley actually makes sure that it that it's in uh, in the slot much more securely. And then he continues his his inquisitive information to uh, Blythe, and he basically says, uh, "When the engine catches, don't move, or you'll get a mouthful of propeller." So actually, if we go to the to the original script, the, that that line is a little different. Also, yesterday the, the line started. With, uh, with him saying, "When I say go, crank the, crank this clockwise." The, in the original uh, script, basically the line, the whole line is, "When I give you the word, you crank." After she starts, don't move until I come for you, or you get a mouthful of propeller. Again, they changed it mm. in a nice way because it sounds much better the way that it's delivered in the final sh- final. That's film. a bit, yeah. That, this is much. What we get here is much tighter, and that's a bit of a mouthful. We don't need that many words to uh, to kind of get yeah. to get the point across here. But uh, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, I quite liked it at the moment because uh, it, uh, you know, it of all the jobs to give a blind guy kind of, you know, hand cranking a uh, propellered plane into action seems seems pretty cold. Like, I mean, uh, you know, poor Blythe has got no idea what you know, where he is in, in conjunction to the, these, uh, propeller blades. So he, you know, it's, uh, all very, you know, Hendley's given him, you know, the, uh, the rough end of the stick here. And, uh, if I was, I was blithe, I'd, uh, I'd be a bit chalked off here. I'm risking life and limb to get this, this plane going. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not really going to know if he's actually going to have a, a chance. He's going to live long enough to, to get in it and fly anywhere. Yeah, you're completely right. I think Blythe also is the fact that, uh, <laughs> that without Henley, he wouldn't have gotten this far. 
I think I think all week he's thinking that. <laughs> he's yeah. He, he might slowly over the course of uh, of uh, this week be sort of regretting teaming up with Hendley uh, at this point in the escape. Yes, there there is definitely a possibility <laughs> that that you are right there. We'll we'll have to see how things play out and see how that uh, how that works. <laughs> Hendley gets into the plane starts doing whatever motions one needs to do inside of a plane uh any any you know people who are aviators that are listening to this uh know what know what i'm saying that i don't know how to do so they know how to do it i have no idea so i'm not even gonna pretend i'm i don't know if james gardner knew how to fly a plane or not whether you know they just told him okay move your hands around make it look like you're doing something who knows i imagine i i i like to think in my mind it's a bit like you know cars the sort of 35 40 years ago where you know to start them you had to pull out the you had to pull out the choke and sort of you know tickle the engine into life so i'm kind of kind of assuming there must be some sort of choke like uh choke like mechanism in inside this this particular plane that uh, then sort of engages with the with the cranking that uh, pleasance is doing here um yeah that's the way it seems you know i have absolutely no idea again I know nothing about aviation. I'm sure uh, Jim Jim uh, Jim O'Kane's listening to this, and you know, he's he cannot believe that we're actually talking about something that we don't know what we're talking about. So, you know, Jim, write to us, tell us what you need to do in order to what what Henley need to do to get that plane started. <laughs> and then we we actually get to see two more bored German guards who are apparently in the in the tower. You know, we don't we we can't tell exactly where they are. Uh, they look like they're looking down, so they must be uh, at mm. some high level, you know, probably in a watchtower or air tower or air control. So air control traffic tower. control tower, yeah. yeah. And then there's two of them, Something and like both of them are looking, and they're, they're, they're a little surprised, because, as we discussed yesterday. They're not expecting the war to get to them. <laughs> and they're like, what's going on here? <laughs> and one of them picks up a, a pair of binoculars, which, which either he's really, mm. really nearsighted, or they're, they're pretty high up where he needs to try and figure out, you know, what's going on there. And then the other one picks up a phone. So it's just funny watching the way that the two of them are, are looking at, at, at things. They're not really doing yes. anything about it. Uh, how, yeah, how they're, how they're re- reacting to uh, World War II finally arriving at their doorstep. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to World such, War Two. How's that? Exactly. They were having such a lovely. They were having such a lovely war up until this moment, and they're like, "Oh no, we we could be in big. They, we could be in big trouble here." No, they're, did, themselves, they're probably saying to themselves that the, the guard down at the bottom is probably in more trouble than them. Well, I, that's certainly the line I'd be going with. Uh, with uh, if I was in that air control tower, I'd be uh, I'd be uh, putting all the blame on that guard. But uh, I did wonder. I mean. Why quite why are they reacting in the way that they are? Because, um, you know, they, they you know, they're at an air. They might, might not have expected a plane to be sort of started at this this time in the morning. They do sort of become, I, I don't know, I feel like suspicious very, very quickly and sort of jump into action. I kind of think, you know, they'd be more sort of like, what's that going on down there? And, you know, maybe one of them would be dispatched down there to take a look or phones on this airbase one of them like, you well, know, they have a phone get... the guy's picking up a phone who he's yeah, calling but I, I don't I know wondered, you if know, he's is calling there his phone, wife saying I'm is not there a phone home. in that hangar or something so I don't know whether they'd phone the guard and say well you know who's who's that in that uh, that plane down there so I, I, I did wonder at kind of uh, 
uh, how they, uh, you know, why they they leap into action quite as uh, as quickly as they did. Yeah, I, I think he's calling his wife, telling her, <laughs> "I don't want to be home tonight because <laughs> someone just stole the plane." <laughs> yeah, I think uh, they're very, very, very possibly. I think, uh, yeah, the, these guys are in for uh, the high jump. Uh, you know, once uh, once news gets out as what's been what's been going. On. Exactly. Now, I, one of the things I love about this movie is the detail. So, if you look. When in the shot that they show these two guys in the control tower, so there's two very interesting things that you can see. One is you can see that above them there's a light, and around the light there it there's I guess you can compass, you know, which shows all the different degrees. You know, it has all 360 degrees with with arrows around it and stuff like that. Which again, it's great mm. that they're able to keep this detail there. You know, so that when someone's in the air traffic control, they can see more or less from what direction someone's coming. So I found that to be interesting. And also, we can see a, a very big reflection in the window itself, and you can see Ooh, part I of this. the airfield down below. Yeah, so it's it's not that. And then we we get to see Colin back continuing his cranking. What, what's really funny is is that as soon as the as it catches, the prop, the, the, the prop crank fall, either falls out or he pulls it out. Uh, but he, he doesn't wait for, for, for Henley to tell him, you know, okay, take it out. Now, again, I don't know how the mechanics of this work. Someone else who might who probably knows will be saying to me, oh, of course it uh, catches, you know, it automatically just pops out. I don't know. <laughs> so Well, I, I mean, I was kind of thinking perhaps, you know, Blythe, you know, at this moment, he's standing right next to a roaring engine. So he's probably thinking, well, I'm getting I'm getting out of here. So he just he's probably just yanking it out and stepping away as fast as fast as he can. And I would, personally, I wouldn't blame him yeah. for doing so. And and you can also see that uh, there's so much wind that that even get to see Blythe's hair, which he doesn't have very much hair. But you can see that the, there's so much wind that that <laughs> little hair he has is also moving. It's in danger of coming off. Yes. 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 Just uh, don't move to the left. Oh, you stay to the right. Oh, you get a haircut. Exactly. And then Henley pulls him back up, and they gets in, and we get to see the guards again. You know, looking looking down. <laughs> again, the guy on the left is still just looking in the binoculars, saying, "Is this really happening?" <laughs> And the other one's screaming on the phone something. <laughs> and just going back to uh, the moment where uh, Blythe gets into the, the, the cockpit, um, you know, I, I uh, it's uh, that I just sort of picked up on that particular moment because, you know, Blythe, you know, he, he's meant to be blind, but he seems to know quite where to put his feet from the uh, from the wing of the aircraft into the uh, the seat of the cockpit with a little bit too much um, sort of. Uh, you know, sort of psychic foreknowledge, and uh, you know, it just sort of reminds sort of what a what a tough gig it really is if you are a sighted person who is pretending to be, uh, you know, someone who is blind. Because I think for the most part, um, Donald pulls that off, um, that you know, pulls off that performance very well within the film. But there are there are a few moments within the minutes that we're looking at where there are just these little little moments where you just think, mm, you know, you, you don't even... He's move, not really blind. Yeah, you don't even move <laughs> your feet like that if you knew exactly where you need to put your feet. And, uh, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the kind of... I, I have that on my in my notes also that, uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't look as blind as he should when he's climbing into the plane. <laughs> okay. We, we can forgive him for that. You know, there's... Uh... <laughs> There's more good in his performance than bad here, so I, I'm perfectly happy to uh, to uh, cut Pleasance um, some some slack um, for that. But uh, yeah, one thing I did, you know, I did want to sort of mention with you is 
you know the relationship between uh pleasance and garner because uh you know we've we've you know sort of in the minutes that we've discussed so far you know it, it we're hendley's getting a bit of a bad rap here it almost seems to be a bit of a bully for blythe but um you know in many ways their relationship i don't know how you feel about it but you know for me it's kind of perhaps like the heart of the film uh i mean you know we see you know they're within the other characters they all seem to have somebody who they you know buddy up with and you know we have little you know their relationships within the film between sort of little pairs of, of characters but um i don't know for me the, the 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 you know the one between henley and Blythe, between pleasance and garner that i don't know that that seems to me to be like the the warmest one now i don't know whether i'm being swayed by the fact that um you know they're the central characters of the minutes i'm looking at i you know i i do you know i've, I've watched the the whole film through a couple of times in in preparation for this and you know i do think perhaps their relationship is is maybe the kind of um they're the buddiest of the buddies that we get in this film. Right. Okay. I, I can hear what you're saying there, and I agree with you. I've, I've had this discussion a few weeks ago. I think one of the, the things about their friendship and their relationship is, is that it's something that has come about while they were in this particular camp. Because, for instance, you have mm-hmm. Billy, who seem to have been best friends yep. forever. You know, so they're always sticking together. You have uh, Nimmo and Haynes that, uh, you know, they, they, they escape together yep. also, so, and, and they're both in diversions together. So they're, they they work together. So, you know, there are different characters who, who know that they've been friends before. And obviously, uh, Mac and uh, Roger are also another good example of that with, uh, you know, Ashley Pitt hanging on, you know, the yeah. wheel, <laughs> who, who uh, as we discussed last week, it's a good thing he was a third wheel. Yeah. <laughs> Their friendship is something that we actually get to see happen on screen. Mm. So I think that's yes. part of it. And also... You know, Henley's the scrounger. Scrounger. That's a pretty selfish. Uh, um, the, the 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 work that he has to do is he has to work for himself in order to help everyone else. And you necessarily expect him to volunteer to 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 work with somebody else. Mm. You know, he's someone who who's best on his own. Like Hiltz. Hiltz is the same yep. thing. He's com- he's great on his own, but he still stayed back and and helped mm. everyone get out by you know by playing with the rope exactly because he's you know you know Hendley is manipulating people and you know how he succeeds in what he does he's you know he's all about manipulating people and you know so he's quite somebody in terms of what we see most of him doing in this film he's somebody who's quite you know quite cynical um exactly and but here he is as you say um I think it's a great observation in, in terms of the relationship that we see happens within the film. I think that's, a, I think that's a great observation, but here he is, um, you know, doing something very altruistic for somebody else. So, you know, we get to see completely, you get to see a completely different side of his, uh, of his character and yeah, makes him, a, uh, perhaps a bit more three dimensional than, um, than some of the other people in the, in the film. Yeah, completely. So I also wanted to bring up something about the, from, from the script again, in the script, they don't have the, the two guys, the, in, in the, in, in the watchtower. Or in the air controlling tower, mm. they they actually have two German mechanics that 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 is going on, and the 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 script says that the way that they act is they start running towards them, trying to stop the plane from taking off. Okay. So there, there's there's more of a physical attempt to to try to stop them. I mean, here you have these two guys in a tower that are pretty much even if they were screaming from up there, it's not going to help them at all. One of them at one point <laughs> is is like smirking the whole time. I think the guy on the phone. Most of the time he's laughing, mm. so maybe he's his wife. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't believe what happened now. Someone just came and stole a plane. <laughs> Who would have thought that yeah. we were in World War Two? Yeah, I don't know. 
<laughs> I mean, one one thing um, that might uh, might be interesting to to, to mention at this moment is because I know, I know that you have read um, the book that this film is based on, and um, you know from from reading that, um, I um, that this particular scene, this particular moment, seems to be inspired by. Um, a kind of a, a moment that happened to like a, another prisoner that is mentioned as sort of events that happened previously. So in the book, it talks about, um, you know, a previous prison escape that uh, one of the people who's now sort of, you know, locked up in this uh, stalag is, uh, was involved in where they kind of, you know, try to get into an airbase uh, in order to steal a plane in order to make, make their escape. So that this, this particular scene seems to be sort of inspired by, by that particular detail. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, it's one of the things that I like about the way that they, they constructed this whole script is is that they took elements from the from the original real story and adapted them uh, in a Hollywoodized kind of way. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people who are unhappy about that, and uh, I will probably have some of them as guests in the near future, in the next few weeks. But uh, regardless of that, irregardless of that, the the bottom line is is that they they know how to make this story a lot of fun. I mean, he wants to see something that is truer to the real escape then they should see the sequel to this movie great escape Two: the untold story which was a made-for-tv movie from 1988 i think you mentioned to me at one point that you actually saw i I have watched it yes Um, i have watched it but but that is much closer to the real Mm. story and now personally uh, i'll I'll let you in a few seconds to tell us what you think of it i i liked the movie but i didn't love it as much as this one you know i found it to be interesting in the way that they they played things out and we got to see a lot more about the way that, that various characters tried to escape and tried to get out of Germany and all the different ways that they got caught and stuff like that. This movie focuses more on the planning of the escape. That movie focuses more on the what happens once mm. they got out. Obviously, they also have some fictional characters there. They have a, an American played by uh, Tony... Oh, I can't remember his name. I, I used to love him on uh, Major Crimes. Yeah, Tony Dennison. Tony Dennison, right. He, he, he's in there. He plays in a pilot that shut down. He's sort of like the, the Hiltz guy. Yeah. Even though uh, there, was real, there was no real Hiltz. You know, they, they added him to the... To, to the he played Mike uh, Corey. That's who he played. I, I like his character. That's but, right, uh, yes. His character was completely made up. <laughs> I mean, the movie also has some other great mm. actors in it. You have Christopher Reeve, Judd Hirsch, Ian McShane, Charles Hayde, who most people know from Hill Street Blues, I think. I think that's what he was from. And Donald Pleasance also oh, appears there. Yes, we should. Yeah, we shouldn't, shouldn't forget that because he's the only um, actor who is on screen in Great Escape Two that is in in the original film. Although I think isn't the director Escape Two? Isn't he? Yes, wasn't he, is. he an actor in yes, The Great Escape? Is. Judd Taylor. <laughs> That's Judd right. Taylor plays Plickoff. Yes, he's the the third token American here that, that we've uh, seen numerous <laughs> times. Uh, yes, I, I love that that piece of trivia. Yeah, but uh, the Great Escape uh, Two, uh, it's a very peculiar movie um, in some ways because it is both a remake and a sequel. Because um, this film. Um, we get to see the great escape happen all over again. So we get to see the sort of, you know, the, uh, you know, the pre- some of the preparations for the escape, the actual escape. But then you were saying there's much more of uh, a focus within that film, um, probably after about an hour, I think, of the of the 
45 minutes of an hour, which kind of retreads the ground of the original film. After that, we then get to see, I guess, sort of new material or a different story. So we get to see, as, as you were saying, much more of um, the um, some following some of the prisoners as they try to then get out of, of Germany or the, or the countries that they then find themselves in. Uh, and we then get to see the aftermath um, whereby the sort of the war war has ended. And now, um, uh, you know, the some of the, uh, you know, Christopher, the character that's played by um, Christopher Reeve is now basically leads um, a, a kind of uh, a sort of task. Yeah, yeah, leads an investigation to find to track down and find the people who are responsible for, for ordering um the the kind of yeah the shooting of um, all of these these prisoners so it becomes yeah kind of like a sort of police procedural sort of in, you know crime investigation type movie so yeah it's 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 a strange movie in the sense of yeah it's both a, a remake and a sequel all at the same time and i don't think i've ever seen a film that is <laughs> that does both of those things in the same movie exactly I, I remember as a kid when i first saw this i was i was 14 when this movie came out in 88 and i remember watching it and i'd already seen the great and and I, I was I just thought it was they were first telling us a different story completely, you know that there was another group of prisoners, mm-hmm. and I was wow that's so amazing. There's a coincidence that both of these movies, both of these stories, had seventy six guys get out. You know, and then <laughs> I eventually figured out that uh, you know that we no, are talking I think about it's the same under- story. Totally understandable, um, you know, mistake to make because um, you, you have Ian McShane's character. Um, I can't remember what um what Roger his, Yeah, he's oh he's still ah yeah, he's still he's playing. Roger. Yeah, he's Roger. Yeah. I I for some reason I thought they changed his um surname in this film, but no, you're right. They no, in, in, in this they didn't, in, they didn't in this change, one they yeah. changed his name. He's but, you know, he's Bartlett here as opposed to Bouchel. Yeah. Because the, the family wouldn't let them use the real name in this Ah, movies. okay. That right. That makes that makes more sense. Okay. Which is interesting that in the the the, the sequel or remake, whatever you want to call it, uh, they were allowed to use it. Mm. Yeah. So I wonder what lay behind that. Whether whether the, the you know the families were were happier with the kind of version of the story here, or whether some sort of time had passed and you know they could with with just using his real name. I don't know. Yeah. Who who knows what the story is behind that. Yeah, because it's it, it was made 25 years after the this this movie was made, and mm. what's even more interesting is is that it's longer than the, than this movie. This movie is 172 minutes, and yes. this movie is 178 minutes. You have an extra six minutes, but as we stated, there's a lot more uh, things that are go, that go on after the escape itself. And uh, I mean, obviously, the original film Great Escape ends very you know darkly with the with you know with the shooting of with the mass shooting of all these prisoners um but you know in some ways i i, I think the great escape 2 is actually perhaps even a darker film than that i mean it's uh, the, i think the tone of it is very somber because we see um you know one of the one of the prisoners who who is aided by um i think it's by a french a french woman um and mm-hmm. she in order to help the, the you know uh, in order to help the escapee um she is a kind of romantic relation she has to seduce she has to seduce yeah. a, a German exactly officer. and she yeah. then because she's then seen by other people in where, the town where she lives as a collaborator because they're unaware of what she's doing and why and she, you know 
that he um it's tony dennison isn't it that tracks her down after the war because he wants to thank her but then you know he finds her and she's basically you know living this you know she's basically ostracized by everybody in the in the town where she lives because they all consider her a, a caterer and so we see um you know and there are other moments in that you know christopher Reeve's character sort of becomes almost you know quite is driven by his age in terms of the investigation that he's leading so we we see some really interesting you know the cost of what these events had on on these characters in in a, in a in a very interesting way in this film which i think is yeah makes it a very um a very somber somber movie and um i think you know, the great escape despite that bleeding it, it does feel you know with the music and everything like a bit of a bit of a caper movie whereas i think great escape 2 has much more serious much more serious tone and um approach to the story that it's telling which is yeah, it's, it's very interesting to watch it as a companion piece. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, the, this this movie, uh, I've, I've mentioned this numerous times on, on this podcast and even on other podcasts where I've discussed this movie in the past uh, a year ago, or at this point, it's a year and a half ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was on a, a podcast where we discussed this movie, and, and it doesn't necessarily feel like a normal World War II, let's hate the Nazis uh, movie. Mm. It's done in, in a way that the tone of the movie switches back and forth between being somewhat somber and somewhat humorous. You know, they throw in a lot of humorous aspects in this movie to keep the tone of things more fun, mm. I guess you can say. I mean, just use this as a comparison. If you think of uh, two other uh, escape movies, either Stalag 17 or The Bridge on the River Kwan, I mean, those are both darker dramas with the way that they... I mean, Stalag 17 throws in a lot of humor also but in a different type of way than they do it here. Yes. The, the sequel, The Great Escape 2, doesn't do that at all. There's no, co uh, no comical moment. Everything is taken very seriously, especially the whole idea of, of wanting to find uh, the truth as to what happened mm. and who ordered. I mean, that movie even has, uh, you know, the character of Hitler and Churchill. I mean, it, it, reach, it shows that this type of story reach those levels yeah also. and also we see within a uh, bit of a bit of a spoiler here for great escape 2 you know we also see that um you know you know christopher Reeve's efforts to track down the people responsible are is stymied by the fact that um you know there are people within the allied you know pouches who want to kind of um you know protect people because they're useful to them in in certain aspects so they're kind of they find their investigation thwarted right. by you know, people on their people on their own side. So again, speaks. You know, I think that part of the story again speaks to the fact that this is a this is a darker, more somber story that uh, that is being told here. And as you say, though, you know, the kind of any sort of those moments of levity just would they just wouldn't work within the this the context of the the story that we're getting told here. Yeah, right. Great. Thank you for bringing it up. That was very nice. We continue with the the story of this this minute. We'll go, we'll go back to that minute, to this minute now. <laughs> <laughs> so the plane basically takes off at the very this minute, and the thing that I found most interesting to watch as that plane takes off is that it goes by this uh, these two anti-aircraft stations, okay, <laughs> which are completely abandoned. 
<laughs> which which goes back to what we were saying about the fact that there's really nobody here. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the uh, it's the dream posting in the Third Reich. I think this airfield exactly completely. We also get to see how many planes are on this this uh, tarmac. There's a lot of planes here. So it goes back to our question from yesterday. You know. How can Henley only fly one of them? <laughs> and you know, it'd be—he he was looking for one that had an English man. Yeah, and you'd be a bit worried, though, wouldn't you, about getting pursued by some of these some of these planes? You, you've got to think if all these aircraft are here, there's got there, presumably there's some pilots knocking around somewhere who could, uh, you know, quickly jump into a cockpit potentially and uh, and give chase. And you know, they're sat in a trainer, uh, uh, you know, with no weapons well, apart from uh, apart from the rifle they were. You know, finagled off that guard, but uh, I wouldn't. Exactly. I would. I wouldn't fancy my chances uh, <laughs> with that as the only means of defence. Me neither. Me neither. All right. Do you have anything else for this minute? No, I'm all good. All right. Do you want to once again uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yeah. So uh, yeah, come and uh, check out the world of exploding helicopters at explodinghelicopter.com. If you uh, want to hear me talk about more movies, then check out our podcast, which you find uh, you know wherever you get your pods. Just look for Exploding Helicopter, and uh, yeah, come chat with me on social media at Chopper Fireball. All right, great. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher you might be using to listen to this show. You can send us an email to uh, thegreatmidgmail.com. Our website is thegreatescapeminute.com. Our Twitter account is Great Escape MXM, and our Facebook group is The Cooler. So hopefully, Will, you can come back in tomorrow. If they uh, let me out of the cooler in time. Ah, uh, you're in the cooler right now. Now you're now you're apparently <laughs> you're either stuck in the the, the traffic control. <laughs> well, if I get off the if I get off the phone to my wife in time, I'll be back tomorrow. There you go. All right. Okay. Well, until tomorrow, tally ho. Tally ho. Everyone, because we're winding down and we have less than 30 episodes left, I decided I'm going to do something very special for the final episode of this podcast. If anyone can please send us any questions, we're going to do a Q&A section, me and one or two other guests. So if you have any questions about The Great Escape or about doing a Movies by Minute podcast or about me or <laughs> anything that you want to ask, it doesn't make a difference. You can ask us questions. And once we record episode 172... We will answer all of your questions, get them to us as quickly as possible. You know where to send them as a private message to Facebook, to Twitter, or you can send them to email any which way that we can see the questions and no one else will see them and we will answer them live for you. Thanks a lot, everyone.